0: And if I have not met you before, my name is Dave Gustafson, and I just have the great privilege of serving as pastor here at Jacksonville Chapel. Um, We are a church that is really passionate about, really committed to three big things. We talk about this a lot, loving God, loving people, and serving the world. So that's the mission that, that guides everything we do, and all of that really is built on the event that we are celebrating today. And today, I want to talk specifically about how the event of Easter connects with the concept of peace which is something we so desperately need in our world, isn't it? So we're going to be looking at one of the most famous accounts of the resurrection of Christ. It's in Matthew chapter 28. So very last chapter of Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew 28, 1, we read this. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And the first thing really we see here is the absence of peace. Think about what had just happened in the previous couple of days. On Friday, Jesus was convicted by the Roman government and sentenced to death and nailed to a cross. His body was taken down off the cross and it was sealed in a tomb by the Roman authorities. The next day was Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath day, so all was quiet. And then very early on Sunday morning, just as dawn was breaking, these women were the first to venture into the cemetery. And I want us just to try to at least a little bit, get inside their heads and what they must have been feeling and the unrest that must have been stirring in their hearts. Because over the previous couple of years, um, Jesus had become very important to them. And so as they spent time with him and as they listened to him teach and as they watched the way that he ministered to a lot of people that society had ignored, the poor, the outcast, the sick, and as they were just with him, they felt a peace they had never felt before. It was like if they were with Jesus, they knew everything was going to be okay. And now all of a sudden, all of that had been ripped away from them. And it says they went to look at the tomb. I think and maybe some of you have experienced this. I think they, they just wanted to kind of be around where his body was for a little while before they had to go out and re-enter the chaos of their world. And as I was thinking about this scene this last week, it, it just hit me that the world that we live in um, is not much more peaceful than what they were experiencing at that moment. So I did this, this quick little brainstorm, and I, I easily came up with Five different areas where there is noticeable unrest in our world. See if you can relate to any of these. So I realized that there is international unrest. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I go online to check the news or when I'm about to turn the TV on, um, in recent days, I've kind of been bracing myself and dreading what I'm going to say. You know, like what the next act of aggression is going to be by North Korea or, or Iran Um, What what small country will Russia try to take over next? Um, Or, worst of all, what kind of terrorist act will there be from a group like ISIS or Boko Haram? You saw the news on Thursday, right? 142 college kids massacred by this group, and another 100 or some injured. I mean, this place is kind of messed up. There's racial unrest still, isn't there? I mean, just when you think our country should be beyond this, there's some stupid racial chant on a fraternity bus or there's another community where the police are, are pitted against the African-American community. It's a mess, and no one seems to be able to agree on the best way to handle it. There's political unrest. Anybody want to argue about religious freedom laws, or immigration law, or legalization of marijuana? Actually, a lot of you do want to argue about it, but it's Easter Sunday, so let's not today. right? <laughs> But the point is, there's not a whole lot of political peace in our country, right? Let me, let me uh, bring it close to home. There's a lot of family unrest in a lot of families. Um, kids who resent their parents. Parents who know absolutely zero about the lives of their kids. Um, there are marriages that have gone cold. And, you know, the Bible has this, this intriguing idea of the possibility of shalom in a family, where there's peace, where there's interconnectedness, where there's flourishing in that family. The reality is so many families experience so little of that. And then on the most personal level, there's a lot of personal unrest. Maybe as you sit here today, you've got deep regret for some just dumb decisions you've made. Or maybe you're just disappointed with your body or your job or, you know, just your life. And maybe to kind of dull the pain of that, you drink too much wine, you eat too much Ben & Jerry's, You're dipping in your kids' Easter baskets. I saw you this morning. (laughs) Everybody depressed enough already? I can just hear some people saying, I told you we should have just stayed at home and watched Joel Osteen today. (laughs) He's so much nicer than this man, you know? Listen, we will never, never appreciate the good news until we accept the reality of the bad news. You got to go through that. And the reality is that just like those two women were walking on that dark morning to the tomb where they expected to find a dead Jesus, the lack of peace in our world is all over the place, right? But then they got to the tomb and things started to shift. So let's continue reading in our, in our story here, uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 2. Let's talk about the rising of peace. Verse 2 says, There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came, home, or came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. "'Come and see the place where he lay. "'Then go quickly and tell his disciples, "'He has risen from the dead. "'He's going ahead of you into Galilee. "'There you will see him. "'Now I've told you.' "'So the women hurried away from the tomb, "'afraid yet filled with joy, "'and ran to tell his disciples.'" So they got to this tomb. The light was just beginning to form on the horizon, and they saw someone there. Matthew says it was an angel. I'm not convinced the women knew who it was or what kind of being it was. They probably assumed it was just a person, right? Right. Uh, But whoever it was told them that Jesus wasn't there, which was just a crazy thought. They had no mental category for that that information. Um, And then they were actually invited into the tomb to take a look at it, and they saw, sure enough, it was empty. So it says they ran from the tomb, and I love this combination, afraid yet filled with joy. Um, Afraid because they weren't used to talking to angels in cemeteries, and yet filled with joy because of the possibility that maybe this could be true. So what does all that have to do with, with Easter or for our, with our lives and with our search for peace? You know, I think the resurrection of Christ can give peace in our lives on a number of different levels. And let me just mention three of those levels. First of all, it can bring peace for our minds. I think one of the things I appreciate the most about this faith is that it's not built on a philosophical concept. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't derive from a revelation that someone supposedly received when they were meditating somewhere. Um, it's a faith that's based on a historical event, the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And despite, you know, pseudo-history that you might read, like the Da Vinci Code, or you know, sensationalistic articles that tend to appear on magazine covers around this time of year, like the hidden four wives of Jesus or things like that, I have found that there is surprisingly strong evidence for the reliability of the New Testament and for the historicity and the believability of the resurrection. And there's so many things we could point to, but let me just focus on two kind of strands of evidence or two clues that relate specifically to Easter. We're reading Matthew's account of the first people who claimed to see Jesus after his resurrection, right? And there's something that's so easy for us to miss as 21st century Westerners. And that is the fact that the very first eyewitnesses of the risen Christ were women, females. And I know a lot of you are thinking, yeah, so what? Well, we don't live in their culture. And so it was very different back then. In fact, there was a pagan Greek philosopher named Celsus. You can look him up on Wikipedia, read all about him. He lived about 80 years after the time of Jesus. Um, and, and he was very opposed to Christianity, argued strongly against Christianity. He was like the the Richard Dawkins, or the the Bill Maher of the second century. And and one of his main arguments, his strongest arguments, was this, can't you see that the evidence for this so-called resurrection is based on the testimony of women? And everybody knows that women are imbalanced and emotional. And back in the second century, most people heard that and they went, yeah, you got a good point there. I know what you mean. That's just the way people thought then." And here's what this means. If this were a made-up story, and if the people making it up wanted to make it as believable as possible, they never would have made up women as the first witnesses. They would have made the first eyewitnesses men, respectable men, educated men. People would be much more likely to believe it. And the only thing that can explain to me the fact that women are said to be the first eyewitnesses is that that's actually the way it happened. Here's another thing to, to think about. The city in which Jesus was crucified publicly was, what city? You can just say it. Jerusalem, right? That's where it all took place. That's where, that's where the trials and the crucifixion took place. The place where the Christian church started shortly after the crucifixion of Jesus was where? It's not a trick. Same place, Jerusalem. Same exact city. And, and again, you might be saying, well, so what? You know, what's the significance? Think about this. The disciples went out, and they started preaching the message of the risen Jesus in the exact same neighborhood as just a couple of weeks before Jesus had been publicly crucified and buried. And here's what that means. If somebody wanted to disprove and shut down this faith, they could have so easily done that by just going to the tomb, by exhuming the body. I know it's kind of gross, but it's done sometimes. And say, look, we got him right here. Everybody go home. He's not alive, he's dead, here he is, there's nothing to see here, this thing is over. But nobody produced a body. In fact, nobody even put forth some kind of a counter-narrative that said, believe me, he's in the tomb, he's there, because everybody in Jerusalem knew the tomb was empty. Think about it this way. The last people in the world who you'd think would believe and worship Jesus as the Son of God and believe the resurrection were the Jewish people, right? Last people in the world, and yet thousands of them believe. How is that possible? I believe it's because they had the intellectual integrity to look at the evidence objectively and open their minds. And the question is, do we? Because if we don't, we have to come up with some explanation of how this completely unfunded, completely uneducated group of basically fishermen swept the Roman Empire, swept across the world, and here we are 2,000 years later talking about them in 2015 in a suburban church near New York City. How is that possible? There's just so much evidence and clues to look at. Look, can you prove the resurrection scientifically? Of course not. Historical events don't work like that. But there's so many good clues. Um, Peter Kreeft is a philosophy professor up at Boston College. And he once said this, God gives us just enough evidence so that those who want him can have him. Those who want to follow the clues will. Peace for our minds. I think the second thing that Easter gives us is peace for our hearts. And this is not the most popular thing to talk about today, but really the whole Judeo-Christian way of thinking says this. The main problem that we have, the main thing, main thing that robs us of peace in life, is not all those bad people out there. It's not those evil forces out there. It's not the media. It's not, you know, liberal politicians. The main problem is right in here. It's the darkness in here. And there was a fascinating documentary that PBS did, actually, a few years ago, um, all about the book of Genesis. So they had this panel of all these people from different religious backgrounds talking about the first book in the, in the Hebrew and Christian Bible. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, you know that it's basically a series of people behaving badly. There's just all kinds of just terrible stuff that, that people do in the book of Genesis. And yet on this panel, nobody seemed to want to talk about sin, Like people were afraid to say the S word. And finally, one of the panelists who happened to be a novelist from New York City named Mary Gordon got sick of all the political correctness, and she said this. Here's what she said. People just aren't right. There's something fundamentally wrong with us that we cannot fix ourselves. And as soon as I heard that, I said, that is a great definition of sin. We're just not right. There's something fundamentally wrong with us that we can't fix ourselves. And this thing called sin is the thing that messes us up, makes us dysfunctional, causes anguish, causes emptiness, it causes broken relationships, and then in a world sense, it causes wars. So what does it have to do with Easter? Well, let's read a little further in the story. After the women started running to tell the disciples, here's what happened next, Matthew 28, verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. He's so understated, isn't he? Greetings, that's all. (laughs) They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Do you remember what had just happened on Friday? How when Jesus was arrested, every one of the disciples turned and ran for it? I mean, Peter kind of gets picked on. All of them betrayed him, in a sense. They all turned their backs on him. None of them stuck with him. And Jesus knew that. And yet, when they see him here on Sunday, he doesn't say, you tell those backstabbing deserters. I might see them if they're lucky, if they plead with me for mercy. He says, I want to see those guys. And guys, this is such an important, this is such a beautiful thing because it means that Jesus was pursuing a relationship with them, not because they had behaved perfectly, but purely because of his grace and his love. That is awesomely good news. And so maybe somebody says, "Well, isn't that that's really nice? Jesus was able to overlook their sins. He didn't overlook anything. He paid for it on the cross." And Easter is the, the the boldest declaration that forgiveness is available for people who do the worst kinds of things, because of what happened on that weekend. I'll tell you what I'm realizing about myself. As I get older, I'm realizing how little I deserve God's forgiveness. Can you relate to that? I mean, not about me, about yourself. People going, yeah, I have noticed that. <laughs> and I got another reminder. A couple weeks ago, I was here preaching about uh, God's call to humble ourselves and, you know, to serve people around us. So after, after, that, after church, I was home, and my wife asked me to, uh, to help her with something. And I just instinctively said, not now, just I need a break. And she said to me, didn't you just preach about serving this morning? <laughs> I hate when she says that. I was like, can you just preach about this? And of course, I said to her, you misunderstood the sermon completely. It doesn't apply to this situation at all. What a jerk. I mean, seriously, what a jerk I can be. And you know, the more I realize that, the more I appreciate Easter, because Easter is this statement that even the people who turn their backs on Jesus, I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that, right? Even they can be forgiven. And if you can forgive them, then he can forgive me. Man, that just brings peace to my heart. I, I eat that up. I need that. And then finally, the third thing, jesus uh, what happened to Jesus on Easter brings peace for our world. Um, I believe that the, the, the truth of Easter and, and especially the hero of Easter has the power to bring peace to situations where it's very difficult to find peace. And so many areas we could talk about. Let me just mention two places where I believe that in our world, Jesus can bring peace. We talked about racial unrest earlier, right? This embarrassing thing in our country, we don't seem to be able to get beyond. And back, backing up a few months, right around the situation in Ferguson, um, the situation in Staten Island with Eric Garner, um, I think the wisest words that I read came from the most unlikely source. Benjamin Watson, who plays linebacker for the New Orleans Saints, posted something on his Facebook page. And I just want to read you a little, a little excerpt from that this morning. He wrote this. Ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem, it's a sin problem. Sin is the reason that we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human. The cure for, Michael, for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure, it's the gospel. I'm encouraged because the gospel gives mankind hope. And I think those words are just so wise and so constructive and so needed because what happened on Easter, the gospel, gives us these two precious gifts that I would call humility and hope. Humility and hope. So when I look at the cross and I realize that I was so screwed up, someone needed to actually die for me to be okay, it humbles me deeply. And when I'm humbled like that, how dare I look down on anybody else? Puts us all in the same plane, right? And it gives me hope because knowing that Jesus conquered death and came back to life tells me that even in situations that seem broken and beyond repair, there's hope. That there can be resurrection, that there can be resurrected fellowship and connection and relationships. And so I deeply believe that there can be racial healing and racial reconciliation because of the Easter gifts of humility and hope. And just like Benjamin Watson really echoes the words of Martin Luther King Jr., I realize that's the answer. That's the key. And then one other area, thinking about very close to home, our world that's right around us. Um, Easter can bring peace to our personal worlds. I want to ask you to do something for a second. Just think about the important relationships in your life. And maybe you're already thinking about them because you're going to see some of them this afternoon you know, for, for Easter. So if you have siblings, brothers and sisters, think about... What's your relationship like with them? Is there, is there a bond? Is there a unity? Think about your relationship with your parents, if one or both of your parents are, are living. What's your, what's your connection? What's the level of, of harmony between you and your parents? If you have kids, think about your relationship with, with your kids. How are things between you and your kids? If you're married, your relationship with, with your spouse, um, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, what's the, what's the health of your relationship? We talked about this idea of shalom before. Is there, is there an interdependence and a respect and a, and a flourishing of those relationships? Or is there suspicion? Is there kind of walking on eggshells around each other? Is there a sense of guardedness or, or resentment or, or anger? Are you kind of tolerating the fact that you have to get together with them today? You know, relationships are the most important thing in life, and when they're strained or when they're broken, it's painful because we know it's not supposed to be that way, right? And I believe that the, the news of Easter These two precious gifts of humility and hope are what we need to bring peace in our relationships. Humility means that when I look at the cross and I realize how messed up I am, I'm going to be very slow to judge you. I'm going to be very quick to apologize and look for the problem in myself. It just does that to me. And hope means that even when a relationship seems dead and beyond hope, even when I'm discouraged and I don't want to try it again, the resurrection means that God is often stirring at the darkest times about to bring something huge from the ashes. So don't give up. So what does this have to do with your life? Let me just phrase it this way. If you listen to all this today and, and you're hearing about connecting the, the truth of Jesus Christ and the, and the resurrection with your everyday life, and if you're thinking, you know, I, it's just not like that for me. It's not personal. You know, I'm, I'm good going to church here, but it doesn't really change the way I live. It's not a personal thing. I'm going to suggest something that's going to sound like a big step just for you to consider. Um, because for 2,000 years, people who've decided to follow Jesus have symbolized their faith through baptism. It's the thing that Jesus actually told people to do. And so three weeks from today, we're going to be baptizing people right, right up here. Um, If you sense today that God is stirring in you and you think, you know, this this is the next step for me, here's what you need to do. After the service today, come on up to the front. You're going to see some prayer counselors up here. Tell them you're interested in baptism, and we're going to be just giving you a packet of information that tells you what you need to do to be involved in that baptism on April 26th. It's going to be an awesome day of celebration. There's actually been an overwhelming response of people who want to be involved in that on April 26th. So, so looking forward to it. But let me also make this really clear. The thing that makes us right with God is not being baptized or any other church thing you could go through. The thing that makes us right with God is faith in the Jesus who died for you and lives for you. Um, And so in a moment, when we close the service, I'm going to be offering a prayer. And it's basically a prayer of humbling ourselves and saying yes to the gift of forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross. And so I'm going to pray out loud. If you need to personalize this, make it your own, just in the quietness of your own heart, you can do that. So I'm going to ask as we close, would you just rise to your feet all together? And I'm going to invite us to bow our head and turn to God in prayer. And if you need to to talk to him and say something to make this personal, say something like this, God, thank you for bringing me here today. And I acknowledge that there is lack of peace in so many ways in my life. And I see that Jesus went to the cross to be judged for my sins so I could be forgiven. And I believe. and I receive your forgiveness. And now, Lord, wherever we come from today, I pray that we would be able to so internalize the living Jesus Christ that we will be catalysts for peace wherever you place us. I pray that our lives would show the Christ-likeness that brings humility and hope into every situation. It is because of Jesus Christ and in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.